Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. How are you? It is good to see you. We are so glad that you are here with us at Life Community Church this Christmas Eve. And um, man, we had a packed Christmas Eve Eve last night, and then again at two. And then I was like, is anybody else going to show up? And you showed up. So there's a lot of you out there. But we are so glad you're here. Do we have any kids in the house that I just saw standing up? I heard some big kids. The other kids not so enthusiastic. Uh, kid, are, are there any kids in here? Okay, that was a little bit better. Okay, here's the deal. I know you don't normally listen to me. Uh, you have your own class. So today I'm going to ask some questions, just a few. And when I do, you get to shout out the answers, okay? So you get to talk back in church. So that's cool. We are glad you're in here with us. Now, I'm going to start out, and kids, I'm going to make this fast so, so it's not boring, okay? Uh, but I'm going to start out by asking you a question. Um, what do you do? Like, kids, any kids in the room, do you ever wake up at night and can't sleep? Fear you? Okay, some of you do. This is probably more a parent problem, though, isn't it, parents? Your kids wake you up at night, and then you can't go back to sleep. So anyway, when you wake up, I know everybody's got different things they do when they wake up in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep. Like, anybody like warm milk? Nobody likes warm milk. Two, one person. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? So, so there's, there's warm milk. Um, let's see. Maybe anybody like reading a book for a while till you get sleepy? Yep, we got some of those. Um, one of our pastors likes watching reruns of Frasier. So anybody else? That's your thing. Now, I have a really weird habit when I wake up in the middle of the night and can't sleep, which happens too often. Um, I put on ancient history on an audible book. Does that sound fun, kids? Now, I know what you're all thinking. You're thinking, why? Amazing. What an amazing student. No, it's because it puts me to sleep. And so it's like, wah, 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 Sumerian, wah, 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 and then I'm out. So... Now, sometimes it backfires, and I actually hear something so interesting, it keeps me awake. And a couple couple nights ago, I think, or mornings, it was early Sunday morning, I couldn't sleep, and I put on the audiobook, and I was listening to this uh, time in history a couple of hundred years before Jesus. Now, if you know anything about this time in history, this is when the Greek Empire dissolved into these four different bickering kingdoms. I think we have a map of it up here for you. And basically, I'll give you the theme of this period of history. War, 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 scummy leader, poisons someone else to like maintain power, and then it happens again to another family member. You'd think they'd learn. War, 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 war. So that's basically the history. I can save you some, some studying um, in there. And it all actually reminded me, as I was listening to this whole period of history, I'm like, it reminded me of a psalm I learned when I was a kid. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot a vain thing? Like, this, just this idea of the nations just being in turmoil and raging, and it all seems so random and so chaotic. And actually, it reminded me a little bit of life today, that it still often feels kind of random and kind of chaotic, like the nations are still raging, right? And this time of Christmas, we sing songs, lots of songs about like peace and enjoy, but you look around and man, the world is still raging, right? And honestly, too often, it's, it's my heart 
that feels like it's raging inside of me. And then as I'm like laying awake listening to this, this history, something caught my attention. And that was this people group called the Gauls. Kids, any kids heard of the Gauls? Just no, I could just wait till high school. You'll learn it in history. Anybody, any grown-ups remember the Gauls? No? Okay, then you probably, you learned it in history and probably forgot it. Um, so the Gauls were this like warrior, barbarian warrior tribe from that sort of lived in modern day, like northern France, that part of the world in Europe. And these guys, they, they ended up traveling all the way down to the Mediterranean. Now, I found a statue commemorating the Gauls. And uh, it's this guy here. This is in Belgium. And uh, so this is what the Gauls might have looked like. And uh, this, when I see this, ladies, I just got to remember, remind you, they didn't have deodorant. So he may be like ripped, but there's no deodorant. So he stunk, okay? So I'm just going to remind you that. Um, but this is what I imagine myself looking during No Shave November, during hunting season. And then I look in the mirror after the holidays, and I'm like, nope, nothing, nothing like that. So anyway, so this barbarian warrior Gaul tribes, these tribes, they come down, they go over the Alps in Switzerland and northern Italy and come down, and they begin invading all the Greek-speaking lands of modern-day Greece or Macedonia at the time. And this army that had dissolved um, finally gets their act together, and they end up driving the Gauls back into what is modern-day Turkey. And the Gauls kind of settle down over in modern-day Turkey, and they have their own Celtic kingdom that they, like, form in modern-day Turkey, which was ancient. Uh, they called it Asia at that point. And, uh, and that's where they ended up settling. So tuck that away in your brains for a little while, okay? Because we're going to come back to that shortly at the end. Now, kids in the room, how many of you, be honest, are like, boring? It's okay. You're in church. You can be honest. That's right. So, yes. Now, I think, but are anybody like starting to fall asleep already? No? So, if you are, then it just proves you should try my method when you fall asleep or when you wake up and can't fall back asleep. You should try it, okay? Um, so anyway, in a little while, I will explain why this little fact of history was so interesting to me and how it relates to Christmas. But to get there, I need to actually read you a few passages in the scriptures that were written a long time in the advance of the arrival of Jesus. But to get us started, we need to actually flash forward a couple hundred years after the Gauls came down from France. And... To start, there's a, during this period of time, a couple hundred years later, uh, it was after Jesus came, after Christmas. It was after his death and after his resurrection, actually. And his early followers were, were so impacted after they saw their friend crucified, their savior, their leader crucified, and then they experienced him risen. They had breakfast with him on the beach. They were so impacted that they ended up taking the good news of Jesus, the gospel, the good news. That's what that word means. All over the known world at the time. In fact, they were so committed to this message about Jesus, the good news, that most of them, almost all of them, his early followers ended up giving their lives for him and dying martyrs' deaths because they wouldn't give up on, the, on what they'd seen. And so 
one of those early followers who carried this message around the world was a man named Paul. We know him as the Apostle Paul. Now, it's really surprising that he was one of the messengers because he started out hating Jesus and persecuting Jesus' followers. But then he had a dramatic encounter with the risen Jesus, and he ended up becoming one of Jesus' most effective messengers. He shared the good news everywhere. He planted all kinds of little gatherings of Jesus, Jesus followers, we call those churches, all over the, uh, the Roman Empire, the Mediterranean Rim. And then he ended up writing a bunch of letters to those little communities. And those letters that he wrote make up almost half of the New Testament, our New Testament, in our Bible. And so Paul, like incredibly effective messenger of Jesus. Now, in one of those letters that he wrote, he writes to this group of people um, that he's planted a little church in called the Galatians. And in that letter, speaking of the first Christmas, here's what Paul writes. He says this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. And see, as Paul thought about all the random events, and he knew history and the, you know, the last couple hundred years and the raging of nations throughout history, and now they're under the thumb of the Roman Empire. And he, he, as he thought through all of this, he understood it, it wasn't all just random, even though sometimes it just felt so random, that in the midst of what felt random, God had a purpose. He had a plan in sending his son at just the time he did. There was a set time that had to fully come. See, Paul knew the ancient scriptures perhaps as well or better than anyone alive at the time. He knew that, that God had, had planned and purposed this moment when he would enter into the world to initiate his plan of salvation through Jesus. And he knew the many, many prophecies of the Messiah that had been given hundreds of years in advance. And he recognized in Jesus' coming God's perfect timing in those prophecies' fulfillment. And so before we kind of circle back around for full circle and get back to the Gauls, I, I want to share a couple of those prophecies that Paul knew and he recognized as being fulfilled in Jesus. And so we're going to look at a couple more scriptures, and we're going to look at three prophecies that were given through the prophet Isaiah, and then one that was given through King David, okay? So we're going to look at those. And the first prophecy from Isaiah is actually quoted in, New, in the New Testament. It's in the Christmas story. It's in Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. And so we've been hearing about that already, but here's Matthew's account. This is a very familiar scripture Many of us read it every single year. Here, here's what it says. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Joseph uh, didn't have that info yet, right? Um, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had a mind to divorce her quietly. Now, I can't tell the story like our Gen Z uh, youth did, uh, but I think, what did they say? He was, he was about ready to dip, right? Is that right? Okay, got it. 
I won't try to use the, the jargon. I'll just make a fool of myself. So anyway, um, <laughs> but imagine his feeling like his heart was, was raging. Imagine the lack of peace he was experiencing. Just that, that feeling like this was so random. It was chaotic. It wasn't what he planned when him and Mary fell in love. But Matthew goes on and tells us after, after he had considered this, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The angel says, you're going to have a son and name him after a famous hero, savior hero of your people, Yeshua. Going all the way back, Joshua. But he won't just be another earthly leader, no. He goes on to say how this fulfills the prophecy. See, this this was something that was prophesied 700 years before Jesus through the prophet Isaiah. And this is that prophecy. It says this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So hundreds of years before, it had been prophesied that the Messiah would come through a virgin. And now the angel in Matthew says, this is happening at the set time. God fulfills this. He fulfills this. And he is Emmanuel, which means God with us. This baby would be God in the flesh, God in a bod, God incarnate. Have you heard the word incarnation? Incarnation, that's a big word we use at Christmas. That's what we celebrate when God himself came in human form, where he laid aside um, the privileges of the very throne room of God and came into this world as a little baby and experienced life like us, lived a perfect life, was tempted in every way we were. God in the flesh, God incarnate. This is the root word where we get carne, flesh, or meat, one of my favorite non-traditional Christmas dinners, carne asada. Anybody else? Had that a few, few years ago. So this year it's, it's rib roast. So I'm going to throw one of those on the smoker. I'm fine as long as there's some good carne involved. So I'll just throw that out there. But <laughs> God in the flesh. Now, this prophecy from Isaiah is only one of 332 fulfilled prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament. In fact, there was this really smart mathematician. Um, he was an astronomy professor, and he decided he would calculate the statistical probability of the messianic prophecies being fulfilled. And so he looked at only eight of these prophecies, very specific things, things like, um, and listen up kids, okay, things like Messiah would be born in what town? Very good. That's right. Um, this is a little harder, that he would enter Jerusalem riding on a what? Very good. Yes. Um, that he would be betrayed like a friend who would be given how many pieces of silver? 30. That was a little harder, wasn't it? 
30 pieces of silver, right? That his hands and feet would be pierced. And, and on and on it goes, very specific things. And he concluded that the probability of just eight of those hundreds of prophecies coming to pass was, anybody want to guess how big this number is? One in 100 quadrillion. Now, I won't make you guess how many zeros that is, but I'll just put it on the screen. That is 10 with 17 zeros after it. One chance out of 10 to the 17th. And Jesus goes on, that's just eight. Jesus goes on to fulfill hundreds of prophecies. And then Matthew tells us about what this Messiah is going to come and do. He would save his people from their what, kids? Sins, yes. And Jesus, too. That's always a good answer in church. You can, that's always a great answer. That Jesus would come and he would save his people from their sins. Now, this was something somewhat maybe not on the top of their priority list at the time, maybe perhaps a little unexpected. You see, they're under the thumb of, of the biggest, baddest empire the world's ever seen, the Roman Empire, and their hope is that Messiah would come and they would, it would like kick Rome to the curb, like stop them from oppressing them, and, they, and, and the Messiah would come and establish a political superpower right then and there, bring them back to the glory days of like King Solomon, where they were like the biggest, baddest thing around. That's what peace in their mind, when the angel came and said, peace, like, like Miss Mindy said, peace on those on whom his favor rests. When the angel says good news, that's kind of what was in their head. Power and strength and domination. Freedom. And Matthew said, it, actually, the primary purpose of Jesus in his first coming, and see, they didn't understand this, that he would come, and, and then there would be time, and he would come again, which he promises. Matthew says he would come, and he would save his people from their sins. In fact, one of the most precise prophecies of what Messiah would accomplish is also found in Isaiah. This is the second Isaiah prophecy. It's found in Isaiah chapter 53. In Isaiah 53, um, Isaiah, speaking of the coming of Messiah, said this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or the sin of us all. Now, this prophecy for hundreds and hundreds of years leading up to Jesus, Jewish scholars pondered, what does this mean? How, how does this work itself out? How can this Messiah suffer? They didn't understand this until after Jesus, till the Holy Spirit revealed it to him and Jesus himself to his disciples after the resurrection. In fact, to this day, many who are opposed to Jesus won't even read this passage because it just so clearly speaks and prophesies the work that Jesus did when he died on the cross for our sins. That was 700 years before he walked the planet. Now, one other prophecy from Isaiah that we often read or sing about Christmas time. Um, it's in Handel's Messiah. And so far, we haven't, don't have a very good track record. One of our pastors and I both knew this. The others didn't. Um, so let's see if, if anybody in here knows this. Uh, For unto us a child is born. Anybody recognize that? 
Three of you in the room. Okay. Handel's Messiah. Anyway, it's a great piece. But here's, here's, here's this scripture, this prophecy, Isaiah chapter 9. It says this, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace, one of the names by which Jesus is known. We sing this. We read these passages every year at Christmas time. But here's the problem sometimes for me and maybe for you. When I listen to history, I, I hear of wars, 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 chaos, pain, nations raging. Turn on the news, and that hasn't really changed that much, it seems sometimes. Maybe the only difference is bigger bombs. The nations are still raging. Maybe you're not so concerned about geopolitics. That's not on your radar. But here today on this Christmas Eve, maybe for you, your heart is the battlefield. Maybe there's a broken relationship in your family. And the thought of the next couple days doesn't necessarily inspire peace in your heart. You already feel the conflict and the tension. Maybe for some of you, you got a little carried away on Christmas spending. And you know that in your industry, you may be facing layoffs in the coming year. The presents have, are still under the tree. They haven't been even opened up. But you're just already stressing about how you're going to pay the bills in the coming year. And your heart just is kind of raging inside. Maybe you got a phone call from a doctor this year. And this coming year holds a lot of uncertainty. Maybe your heart feels like that psalm that I was thinking about as I was laying awake listening to history about the Gauls in Macedonia. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot a vain thing? Whether it's our heart, whether it's nations, we see this, this tension, this strife, just like the Gauls coming down and invading the endless wars. David writes, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. When you see that phrase anointed, that is actually the meaning of both Messiah and Christ. Messiah and Christ are just two different languages for the same word. That Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ. They mean the same thing. And that means the anointed one, the anointed ruler. That's the idea. And here's the good news, though. David goes on. In verse 4, he says, but he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. In other words, the nations rage, but they're not going to have the final word. They're never going to thwart God's plan. And speaking of Messiah, he goes on to write this. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possessions. So we see the nations will rage, but God's anointed one will prevail and his inheritance would be the nations. And the writers of the New Testament understood this psalm as a prophecy that was fulfilled in Jesus. In fact, 60% of this psalm is quoted in the New Testament as being fulfilled in Jesus. Coming back to the Apostle Paul that we started with, 
Um, he, in fact, he quotes this very psalm that was written a thousand years before Jesus in one of his messages. In Acts 13, and this is a really cool passage, because it's right after, in Acts 13, it's when Paul and his buddy Barnabas were set apart to be the apostle. He was the apostle of the Gentiles. They were going to come and take the gospel to all the Mediterranean rim, the, uh, the Roman world. That was his job, plant churches. And so he's out there on mission. And here's what he's preaching to the people. In verse 27 of chapter 13, he says this, the people of Jerusalem and their, and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. They missed their very own Messiah. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are, that are read every Sabbath. What they did actually... That's what Isaiah wrote about. He would be bruised. He would be crushed for our sins. Verse 28, though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they carried out all that was written about him, remember the set time, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. All these people that spent time with him after he died, they, they, they knew he was dead. Then they spent time with him after he rose again. They're now the witnesses that have been telling all of you. He goes on, he says this in verse 32. We tell you the good news, the gospel. We tell you the gospel, what God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm. Here's his quote. You, my, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now he goes on. He says, now when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep. King David lived. He was a king. He died. He said he was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. He goes on. He says, then Paul gets, Paul, as he goes on, he's going to get to the implications of this for you and for me. He says, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That when the angel comes and says, peace on those whom his favor rests. That's what Jesus is doing. When, he's, when Matthew tells us that he would be, be called Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. Now they missed him. They didn't recognize him because it looked different. They were expecting a political kingdom then and there, and he came offering forgiveness and relationship with God. It looked a little different than they expected. He says that this was the offer, peace with God. And, and it says here in verse 48 that when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. See, it's good news. The message of Christmas, the message of Easter is really good news for humanity. It's that you can have peace with God. It says the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. The gospel spread through this whole region, through the whole region. The good news. And what is the gospel? Gospel and good news, they mean the same thing. The, the gospel is that you can have peace with God. You can have peace with God. Peace on those for whom his favor rests. 
Paul says it's by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not by trying to earn it and work real hard. It's by trusting in what he did when he died and rose again and believing that he is the son of God who came for you. See, the good news is that you can experience peace and the hope of eternity. You can experience that right now. The assurance that Jesus will return. He will return, just like he predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off. You better believe he's going to return. The raging of the nations will cease. He will judge the living and the dead. All things will be made new in him. And if you've placed your faith and trust in him, you will spend eternity with him. In the meantime, in this life, in this time when the nations are still raging, he, when many times life, the circumstances of life are raging, are raging he, he gives us peace and hope in this life. He brings peace to our raging hearts. Many times that means peace in spite of circumstances. That he gives you peace in the midst of what you're going through. See, Jesus never told us it would be easy. He said, my peace I give to you. I'm going to give you a heads up. Life's going to be hard. In this world, you'll have trouble. But I've overcome the world, so take heart. I've overcome it. And we have the promise that as we bring our circumstances, our fear, our anxiety to him in prayer and thanksgiving, that that I can actually experience right now a peace that surpasses all understanding. Not because of my circumstance, in spite of it. So, Back to the Gauls, okay? Now, we'll make this really quick, kids, because I know some of you told me the history stuff's kind of boring, and you're like, you know, we're out of school, so stop it already. It's Christmas. I'm going to go ahead and invite the band up. And as they come up, I'm going to tell you just a little bit more about the, about the Gauls. See, so the Gauls come down, they fight, they end up settling down in this, this one area of modern-day Turkey. They begin to speak Greek. Um, they learn Greek. They uh, dress like the Greeks. They eat Greek salad and call them out of olives. And my favorite, baklava. Anybody else? So this period of like becoming, basically looking, walking, talking like the Greeks, this is a big fancy historical word called Hellenization. So write that one down. You'll impress your, your teachers if you know that um, one. Kids. You're not going to write it down, are you? You're like, we don't really care. So anyway, they, so they, they settle down, and hundreds of years go by. And over time, as Rome takes over, they become known by a new name. The Greek-speaking Gauls become known as Galatians. Or you and I know them as Galatians. And here's what's amazing. As Paul is speaking in that chapter of Acts we were just in, about the gospel spreading in the whole region. As he's speaking about that, literally the next place he's going is Galatia. And he's going to preach the gospel in Galatia. He's in a town right next to Galatia. He's going there next. He's going to share the gospel. He's going to tell them about Jesus. And this former barbarian tribe is going to embrace Jesus as their Lord. They're going to follow him. He's going to plant a church in their midst. He's going to write them a letter, and they're even going to get a book of the Bible named after them. (laughs) Isn't that cool? 
And in this book of the Bible that we started with, named Galatians, Paul goes on to finish that little verse he starts by giving us the best news in history. He says, when the, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, to buy back, to bring peace with himself, that we might receive sonship or daughtership. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And Paul tells us that, it, that it, you're, the work of Jesus isn't just to, to you know, make you okay with God. No, his spirit, if you're a follower of, of him, indwells you to the point where it connects you to God. In, in an intimate relationship, he can compare to calling, you can call your heavenly father, Abba, Father, which in the language really kind of means Daddy, Father, Dad. That you have a Heavenly Father that loves you, that Jesus makes a way for relationship. Not like your imperfect Heavenly Father, or your imperfect earthly Father, excuse me, as wonderful as they might have been. Your perfect, loving Heavenly Father who cares for you, who wants relationship with you. And I love that in the midst of the nations raging out of control, God was working. God had a plan. And when that set time had fully come, Jesus entered into the world to redeem, to save, to deliver, to bring peace and relationship with God. And just like the way he invited this former Gaul barbarian warrior tribe into his family, and they became part of his family, he's inviting you into relationship with him. Today might be your set time to come into relationship with him. Today he's inviting you to receive the free gift of salvation. See, it's a, it's a gift from him, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's a free gift, but you still have to receive it. You still have to accept it. He's inviting you into life. And you can embrace that right now by responding to him. Would you stand? And as we bow our heads and we close our eyes, everybody in the room, Lord, just draw, draw people today. Draw your, your children home, Lord. And some of you, you may be feeling this sense that, that God's tugging on your heart, saying, come home. For some of you, that may look like a, a period of time of years or decade where you've sort of been stiff-arming God. You've been holding him at arm's length. Things didn't go your way. And today's an invitation to step back into intimate, close relationship with him. You can take a moment as we pray here in a moment just to say, I'm coming home. I want to renew, refresh, and, and, and know your presence in a new way here today. Others of you, this is your first time. This is your set time. And he's calling you to come be his child to embrace the free gift of life. And you can do that if that's you. As we bow our heads and close our eyes, simply through praying a, a prayer like this, there's nothing magical about the words. It's, it's the intent and the trust in your heart. It, say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you're the son of God, that you died and rose again 
for me. And right now, I want to accept that free gift of salvation in life that you offer. Not because of anything I've done. I know that I'm a sinner, and that sin separates me from you. And so I embrace what you've done for me. Would you forgive me? Would you welcome me into your family? Would you give me life? And Lord, from this moment on, I want to turn away from those things in my life that that are not pleasing to you. And I want to follow you with all my heart. Help me do that. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And if you prayed that from a true, sincere belief and trust in your heart, you're his child. You've received his life. We're going to sing one more song, and then uh, I'll come back up and pray and let you head on home. But in the meantime, kids, you still have those little glow sticks? Cool. I want you to pull those out if you haven't already and break them and get them all lit up. And then if your parents let you, I'm going to give you permission to stand on those chairs again. And in this song, especially when we get to the end of it, when it's like just the voices and stuff, raise them up high and swing those little glow sticks around, okay? Let's sing this song that so many of us know and love. Lord Jesus, thank you that you were willing to come into this world to live, to face all the trials and struggles we face and yet live a perfect life and then give your life for us and rise again that we could be brought into peace and relationship with our God. We love you. We worship you here. I pray just your peace that passes understanding over the hearts of each and everyone here in the room. In your holy name we pray. Amen.